you know, if you listen to me, I am quite fond of New York City characters. I don't think uh, there are any characters that are more interesting and more fun than Elliot Gordon. Um, you know, if you read a biography of Elliot Gordon, it's almost like you're reading the biography of five or six different people because you can't believe any one person has led that varied in existence in the course of one lifetime. Uh, but Elliot Gordon certainly has. Uh, it's very difficult to describe Elliot Gordon. He's a producer, a talent agent, a former aide to Mayor Giuliani, an entrepreneur, and uh, a gifted storyteller. And the thing we like most about him, he's kind enough to get up early for us this morning. Good morning, Elliot. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Frank, thank you so much for having me as your guest. And by the way, besides being Cinco de Mayo, it is also Israel Independence Day. So I'm going to send you a falafel to have with your tequila. (laughs) (laughs) I do like falafel. And I appreciate you mentioning that. Now, um, you know, your sending me a falafel would not be your first foray into the breakfast business. I read somewhere that you actually have been the person that invented the breakfast bagel. Come on. How did you invent the breakfast bagel? Well, you know, it's interesting that you really you really did your homework and your research. Yeah, most of those bagels we're talking about many, many years ago, most of those bagels are running about four ounces. So I said, you know something, if I make a five-ounce bagel, when they hit that with cream cheese and a coffee, that's breakfast, which is probably the way Ed Koch started every morning. <laughs> so I said, you know what, I'm going to make five ounces. Before I know it, I put it on trucks, and I was delivering it to restaurants, and I had it up to 10,000 bagels a week. So I built that bread route, and then I sold it, but I had come up with the name at that time at a breakfast bagel. Wow, that's that that is wild. You know, it's interesting when we think about you and uh, what you've done in public life and what we what you've done in comedy, which we'll talk about in a minute and what you're doing right now. Uh, a lot of people don't know that you actually uh played a pretty significant role in the Camp David Accords um, and you, your work with uh, Leon Charney um, and your relationship with Leon Charney led to, um, you know, an interesting collaboration with the two of you. How did you get to know Leon Charney initially? Well, well, Frank, I, I want to make one correction. I, I was not involved with the uh, Camp David Accords. Leon was. And what happened was how I found out the whole story. And most people don't know Jackie Mason was. But what happened was when I was working for uh, Mayor Giuliani, Leon Charney was very involved with politics. And I would meet him at the functions. Mm. He became a very wealthy uh, real estate man. And I think he had like a million square feet just in Times Square. So I met him at the uh, different events that I was attending with Mayor Giuliani. And Leon said, hey, El, I've got a TV show and I buy time because in 1997, you had to buy time in different markets to get your show aired. Uh, and he said, it's all about politics in Israel, and you seem to know all the players in politics. He said, would you like to produce my show? Mm. And I did. I was with him 
for about three years and produced about 200 shows, but I became close with Leon personally, and he shared the story. I said, Leon, how'd that whole thing come about? And just to uh, revise it very quickly, he said, Al, at the time I was a very successful attorney, and there was a comedian from the Catskills, not a big name, a guy named Lee Tully, and he came to Leon and he said, there's another comedian who went on the Ed Sullivan show and did his jokes, can he sue him? And Leon won a lawsuit. He said that the Sullivan show had such a big audience doing jokes on it, registered a common law copyright, which Lee Tully did. And that meant no other comedian had a right to that intellectual property. And he won a lawsuit for a comedian having his joke stolen. Well, you know, now now not long after that, Jackie goes on the Smothers Brothers and which was another variety show around that time. And they edit his jokes about the Vietnam War. And Jackie Mason goes nuts. He couldn't believe that they actually cut up his material. And he goes to Leon. Leon files a lawsuit, and it works out. There's a senator from Indiana named Vance Harkey, very big on First Amendment issues. So it was in the paper because it was Jackie Mason. Vance Harkey sees it. He gets involved. And they had an out-of-court settlement, but it brought Vance Harkey in touch with Leon Charney. He introduces him to a guy named Bob Lipschitz, who's the biggest attorney in Atlanta, representing the governor, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter gets elected president. Lipschitz goes with him to Washington as the president's personal attorney, similar to Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump. And then Leon is representing a guy named Ezra Weitzman for a book deal. And Ezra calls him and says, Begin just became elected prime minister. He brought me in as defense minister, and we want you to come to Jerusalem to meet with us. So Leon goes out there. They say, hey, you got a connection indirectly to Prime Minister Begin through him, through Weitzman. You got a connection to President Carter through Lipschitz. Nobody knows who you are. You're perfect. We want you to fly back and forth as the shuttle diplomat. And that's how Leon played his role in Camp David. Now, I I alluded to your history in New York food delivery. I know you sold everything from Italian ices to bagels to, uh, to, you know, to hot dogs. How did you make that transition from having a big food distribution and delivery route to working in the Giuliani administration? How did that transition take place? There was a nice gentleman. His name was Rabbi Lenny Gutman, and he was friends of mine. And he said, this is 91. He said, Al, he said, uh, Rudy lost in 89, but we're going to go again for it uh, in 93. And we're going to need help in certain areas, areas where you have good contacts. And he brought me in, and there was a gentleman, Dove Hyken, who helped us, and a fine gentleman named Bruce Teitelbaum. And we all kind of like formed an office, just concentrating our efforts on the Jewish community, because with the Crown Heights riots, we felt that was the area where we could move those Dinkin voters into the Giuliani column. And that was the role I played. And we wound up winning the election. And like I said, I stayed on and worked as an aide to the first deputy mayor, Peter Powers. 
And then once I met Leon, I said, hey, why not go into television? Yeah. So um, uh, if people just tuning in, we're talking with Elliot Gordon. Uh, if, if people have followed the history of New York politics, usually a lot of people that are senior aides for a two term mayor, they will uh, do maybe lobbying. Maybe they'll run for office themselves. Maybe they'll go into consulting. Maybe they'll go into punditry. You don't necessarily think of becoming a talent agent as the first career for somebody that leaves a mayoral administration. What made you choose to focus on that talent and talent management and entertainment and comedy rather than go the traditional route of so many other Giuliani alumni, for instance? I had a very dear friend who was a very special man named Sid Bernstein. And Sid Bernstein had been the great music promoter of the 1960s. He was the man who brought the Beatles to America. He was manager for Cousin Brucey, another dear friend, Cousin Bruce Morrow. And I think Sid was involved with every major star of that era, Frank Sinatra, um, uh, Jerry Lewis, everybody. And uh, Sid and I were very close, and I really caught the entertainment bug from Sid Bernstein. And I found that I have an incredible teacher, a guy who's done it all from small shows to Shea Stadium, to teach me how to become an agent, to teach me the area of promotion, of dealing with an artist. And I really caught the bug. And through Sid Bernstein is how I met some guy named Jackie Mason, which we have been friends for 20 years. And then I'm meeting Pat Cooper and Alan King and Tom Dreesen. And these guys said, hey, if you pick up the phone and you get us a job, you got 10% for your pocket. And some of these guys were getting big money and I got them jobs and I was picking up big commissions. So that's what took me in that direction, that I had the opportunity and the teachers like Sid Bernstein and like Jackie Mason to teach me how to do it. And I just love the fact of earning money by making people feel good. And it became an addiction. And I just kept doing it. And like I said, I wound up with these long-term relationships with Pat Cooper and Tommy Dreesen. And before I knew it, I, I was getting jobs for Robert Klein and occasionally some work, Alan King and Henny Youngman and Red Buttons, the old timers. And I found that the biggest treat was having them share their stories of their lives' events with me, of coming up through the Catskills and what they went through. And I didn't realize it at the time, Frank, but I was becoming almost an encyclopedia of an era of entertainment that may have been the most funniest and the most elegant in the history of the entertainment business. And I just kept going. Well, so uh, you've had you've represented a lot of interesting folks over the years, including uh, a few folks that uh, that I've known and you've worked with uh, in some legendary folks, uh, people like Carol Channing, people like uh, Joe Frazier. And, you know, the, the fellow that I was just talking about a few minutes ago, Ed Koch, you you represented him. Yes. What happened was Lee, I represented for speaking engagements when I was doing the Leon Charney report. Leon knew Ed very, very well. Leon was heavily involved as a fund, you know, giving money to Democratic candidates. And Ed would come on the show. And then I just asked him, I said, hey, Ed, you know, 
I, I think I could get you some speaking engagements. Will you allow me to do that? And he said, sure, why not? So in that sense, I represented Ed, getting him a couple of speaking engagements. And again, we became friends. And Ed Koch, to me, was like another entertainer. Oh. He was a very funny, charismatic guy. And it was, it was an honor to at least spend a small amount of time representing the former mayor. If, um, you know, a couple of the people that you've worked with over the years, uh, I've known, and they're known for occasionally being a bit temperamental. Uh, people like Jackie Mason and Pat Cooper come to mind. Uh, now, I know Pat uh, pretty well, and he has a very kind side to him, which doesn't get nearly uh, as much attention as his more irascible side. But uh, g- give me, tell me a, a story or an anecdote of about your relationship with either Jackie Mason or Pat Cooper, because I know every interaction that I've ever had with both of those guys was incredibly memorable, and I'm sure most of yours were as well. Well, I tell Pat, Pat and I know each other a long time, and he is one of the most long, loyal, uh, encouraging, cheerleader type of guys. When you need somebody in your corner, and I call him a marshmallow simmering in hot Italian sauce, (laughs) Pat is just constantly funny. Not long ago when he was living in New York, he's in his 90s, and I visited him at his apartment at that time on the Upper West side. I said, how do you stay in such good shape? He says every morning he goes to Central Park and takes a run for his life. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he was just constantly funny. And, you know, I got one great story for him. I get him a job at a place called Ruth Eckert Hall, which is a theater in Clearwater, Florida, the Tampa area, holds about 2,200 seats. And I tell and he's about 80 years old at the time. I say, Pat, it's the winter. You better go down a few days earlier because there could be a snowstorm. No, no, I'm going to go the night before. Don't worry. Things will be fine. Sure enough, the night before, there's a snowstorm in New York. He calls me from the airport. He said he's locked into LaGuardia. And he says, El, he said, if there is one plane that's going to be flying out to Miami and if there is one seat available, I will chain myself to that seat. They'll have to call the cops to get me off the plane. He said it's not because of his money. And I think I got him 12500 for that job. He said, I'm a rich man. He said, but you have a commission coming. How are you going to get your commission if I don't show up and do the job? How is the promoter going to talk to the audience and give back the tickets? He said, it's called being a responsible person, 80 years old flies into Miami, sleeps in the airport to get a connecting flight to Tampa, goes right to the hotel, right to the stage, does 45 fabulous minutes, and then he goes back and and gets some rest at 80 years old. He said, El, it's called being responsible. Wow. Uh, Wow. Talking with... uh... Elliot Gordon. And uh, how about Jackie Mason? Jackie, I've seen even when he would come in and fill in on the radio, he had a side to him that could be, to put it politely, difficult to deal with. Yes. Now, Jack and I, I'll tell you a fascinating story. Jack and I had been friends for over 20 years. We were introduced by Sid Bernstein and Jack, very entrepreneurial. Uh, him and I would come up with ideas for different comedy packages or to do different things together. And, gee, four or five nights a week, I'd get a call from Jackie Mason at midnight because he liked to stay out late. 
And it was always the same thing. He's in a coffee shop with some girl he's not that thrilled with. He wants me to get in a cab to meet him so we could talk about show business. So I'd be with him three, four nights a week. But a very, very special guy. And at times, Frank, you're right, we would get into shouting matches. We would yell. We wouldn't speak for the longest time. Now, three years ago, he calls me and he says, I want you to meet me at this diner later tonight. Let's get together. And I didn't call him back. So he calls me again, very angry. How could you not call me back? I'm a Broadway star. How dare you? Again, a fight. We don't speak for three years. Last July, I'm coming out of the subway in Manhattan on 7th and 57th. And there's a guy at a table outside the restaurant having a cup of coffee, Jackie Mason, our eyes just locked. And he says to me, he said, oh, we've been fighting. And I said, yeah, I heard something about it. He said, let's just get past it. I said, Jack, I agree. We sit down. We're talking about comedians like Myron Cohn and all those guys. He hands me his new cell. He says, call me. We're back on track again. That night, he went into the hospital. And a few days later, never came out. Oh, wow. Uh, Well, I'm glad you guys got to patch things up uh, before he passed away. And uh, certainly an incredible talent, even, you know, in spite of whatever human shortcomings that he had. So tell me about what you're what you're doing now. What you're doing now, I just love. And I think uh, it's something that our audience would be really receptive to in many cases. Fabulous. What happened was about... Seven years ago, people were constantly asking to hear the stories about Jackie Mason and Sid Bernstein and Pat Cooper and and all those people. And they just loved them. If I'd go to somebody's home for dinner, they say, hey, Al, do you got a story about Alan King or Jerry Lewis? And and they would just love it. So I I called Pat Cooper and I said, Pat, you know, you think I should put this into a presentation and try to do it? And Pat says, L, yes. He said, as a younger man being involved with us, you were a witness to the greatest era of comedians and singers and variety performers. There'll never be again that type of an era where so many great names, Buddy Hackett, Milton Berle, Henny Youngman, all performing at the same time. I called Jackie. Jackie told me the same thing. He said, L, I want you to do it. And I called Tommy Dreesen. And he said, try it. You got nothing to lose. And Frank, it worked immediately. I went down to a couple of uh, assisted living facilities uh, and I said, hey, I want to audition like everybody else auditions. And it was. So they actually audition performers at assisted living facilities. I don't know if they did, but I offered them an audition. I said, guys, I don't want to take your money until you see what I do works, because I don't know if it works. So I go down there, audition, fabulous response from the audience. I share the stories and show video clips of the great performances of all these guys, and then end with a kind of sing-along. And I would tell the executive director, I said, look at the response. They don't need their medications. They need Milton Berle. And I said it very, very seriously. And I found that they were bringing me back once a week for a fee. And my audience could be 50, 60, 70 people in wheelchairs coming down, laughing, having a great time. With COVID, I was the first guy to get closed out. 
So I had, there's a lady named Donna Lapita. She runs a, an assisted living in Little Neck. She said, oh, there's something called Zoom that her daughter teaches on it. I don't know what she said, Zoom. I thought she wanted me to run around the living room. I don't know what <laughs> Zoom was. So she said, can you try it? I said, let's figure this thing out. I tried it and it worked. And what I found out now over the last two years is I'm broadcasting this to facilities and communities around the United States, mostly in four states. And on a weekly basis, I'm getting those crowds come into their social rooms to laugh and to sing with the great Broadway shows, with the classic comedians, with interviews like Marlo Thomas, who came on my program recently, and they're having a great time. And when their grandkids are visiting with them, their grandkids in their 20s, Frank, they love it even more. I can imagine. So is there a way, if we're not living in an assisted living facility, that we can see these shows? Uh, no, because what I do, actually there isn't, because what I do is, uh, I'm, it's not YouTube, I send it to them on Zoom, and uh, so they, I send them the link, and then I do it live, so uh, it's interactive. Now, um, uh, 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 what happened during isolation, which is an even more interesting story, they telling me, say, oh, you know, things are bad here. We're not even letting them gather in the social halls. Mm. They're locked in their rooms. I said, hey, look, I want you to take one of your aides on an iPad, and I want you to walk right into their rooms and let me go one-on-one with them uh, because they're going to drop dead of a broken heart. Yeah, they're no, going to die of isolation. Uh, that's for let sure. Let me into that room and let me bring in Milton Berle and Barbara Streisand and Jack Benny. And you cannot believe the looks on their faces when I, they were trapped in those rooms. No, I, I can imagine. Elliot, on that note, uh, we're going to have to actually end it there. But I want to encourage folks to, at the very least, check out your website, ElliotGordonPresents.com. They could learn a little bit more about you and your history and what you're doing now. That's Elliot with two Ts. Elliot, I hope we can talk again soon. Frank, you're the best. Thank you very much. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchases experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.